I am so glad you could join us. I'm your host, Mo Gaudat. This podcast is nothing more than a conversation between two good friends sharing inspiring life stories and perhaps some nuggets of wisdom along the way. This is your invitation to slow down with us. Welcome to Slow Mo. I am a massive fan of today's guest. Latif Nasser is the director of research for an award-winning New York public radio show, Radiolab. There, he has done stories on everything, from snowflake photography to medieval robots to polar bears who liked to have sex with grizzly bears. Earlier this year, he hosted the miniseries The Other Latif about his Moroccan namesake, who happened to be detainee number 244 at Guantanamo Bay. In addition, Latif is the host and executive producer of my favorite, absolute favorite new show, the Netflix science documentary series, Connected. He has also given two TED Talks and written for the Boston Globe Ideas section. He has a PhD from Harvard on history of science. Hey! hey. Well, there you are. Okay. Hey. Oh my God! I know you. I know you. I know you well. I know you. Really. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's so good to see you, Latif. I'm I'm oh, a huge you. fan. Oh, that's very sweet of you to say. No, no, it, it it really is true. I mean, I never ever in my life ever ever binge watch anything on Netflix. As a matter of fact, if anything has more than two episodes, I avoid it completely. And then <laughs> I arrived at my daughter's place. I think like a couple of days after you launched, and she said, "You have to see this." And that was it. I just saw this until I finished it. It's like I did nothing else. I didn't sleep. I didn't eat. I didn't go anywhere. I just sat there and watched it. It's amazing. You are too kind. You I swear I'm not kind. making this up. It's true. I watched it three I, times since, just so that you know. That's, that's, I'm, uh, I'm extremely flattered. I'm extremely <laughs> flattered. I, 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 Oh, go, you please. I, I, I watched another time just because I felt it was needed. And then yesterday I was like, okay, I have an excuse. I'm talking to him tomorrow. So <laughs> I might as well watch it again, you know. Why not? <laughs> I got to say, because like after I, I got your uh, request, I, I was very flattered. And then I, I listened to some of the other uh, interviews you did. And you are a very, you're a very heady guy. I like it. Like I think Oh, yeah, you man. To, of you course. Go to, you go to sort of very... Thoughtful philosophical places that a lot of other podcasts I think would be scared to to venture there. That it's good that you've experienced that because I have here for you quite a few notes of what, on, where, <laughs> okay. on, on where we're going to go today. Right. I actually I actually think it. I don't know. I'm I'm a I'm a bit like you. I mean, you studied art uh, science history, uh, yeah. you, right? And I'm not a PhD from Harvard, but I. I'm definitely incredibly intrigued by science history because in a way it really teaches us we don't know much at all. You know, yeah. <laughs> if you really look back at science history and how often we change our mind on things. Yeah. yeah. It's quite shocking. And and, and how to to me, I think that's exactly right. Like that's to me the big the big lesson of it. Like and I think maybe that was a I was sort of primed for that lesson, but it, I think it really is a, a lesson in intellectual humility. There are times when we think as people, we think we're so right that it couldn't possibly be any other way. And then what you realize is like every major, like the biggest scientific breakthroughs, like germ theory and quantum physics and evolution and the biggest, biggest ideas, like when they came out, they were laughable. They were ridiculous. Like the vast majority of the human population thought that, that they were stupid ideas, you know? And so there's something about that that I think is really foundly, and not to say that we haven't learned anything. We have. We have learned a lot. But I still think that there's, there's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we think we know that we really don't, you know? Um, that's the whole point. And, yeah. and I think that's even more dangerous than not knowing, right? So <laughs> when we think we know and we actually don't know much at all, 
that's yeah. when we start to make decisions that are quite, uh, you know, quite uninformed because we, yeah. we make them with conviction and then, you know, we're in a very bad place, really. Yeah, yeah it's, it's funny to say that at a time, like during a global pandemic, because like, because in principle, in, on most things, I agree with that, right? Like, it's like, let's not be too hasty. Let's not bake, make big bets on things we think we know, right? But on the other hand, like there are times where it's like, okay, everyone should stay home and wear a mask. Like we, we know enough to say that, you know? <laughs> exactly. But uh, made that too much. <laughs> right, right. But, but still, I do think that there, you can hold those two things in your mind at once, you know, that, that mm-hmm. it's like, yes, we, we really do need to, you know, there are, there are sort of best practices of here's a way to live a life or here's a way to live uh, like a conscientious life that, that leaves our planet more sustainable and our people more, you know, equitable and our, you know, all these kinds of things. Like, like here's, you know, you could, you could take some of that advice while at the same time being humble, critical, you know, really kind of in a way engaging with the world in a way to say, I'm going to act as if we know this, but I'm not sure, you know, I'm yeah. really not sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one of, uh, I, so I, I write a lot and I don't publish as much as I write. And one of the books I wrote three chapters on is, is, a, is a book called Understanding Fate. And the idea that when you really, really think deeply about what actually shapes our world, there is so much that shapes every minute of your life that's completely un- un- unknown, you know, and when known, not even understood, right? That plays such a big role. I mean, of course, you choose to wear this wonderful T-shirt that has Arabic on it today, but that, so so that's that's a choice, right? But but that choice in itself is not enough to determine anything. And and I think that humbleness to realize that there is so much out there we don't know would make a lot of stuff, a lot of things that we address as a as a as humanity different. Yeah. And I do think that we, because, I mean, this is a sort of a thing of the 20th century, right? Where you, uh, um, this like, with Freud, like this like subjectivity and the ego, and like, like, like we, th- we think of ourselves as being, yeah, like, like we're in control. Whereas actually like the, the, the point of all that was, was the opposite, which is to say like, like actually you're, just as you're saying, you, you think you're in control. You think you're in the driver's seat of even yourself and you aren't. And, and I think that's, I think that's kind of right. Like we have, we have a, especially I, I think like in this country, in the United States, there's like a, a really like a thing about individual agency and choice and, you know, and, and your, your ability to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and that kind of thing. But, but, but there's so much that's beyond your control that's even beyond your sort of sc- your horizon of, of imagining, you know, I, th- yeah. I think. So, so we, we jumped in t- very quickly as, as I would have expected. By You're a heady guy, Mo. <laughs> I apologize. I apologize. I really want to talk to you about a lot of things, but I think because your show is new, maybe it's a good idea to tell people a little bit about Connected. So sure. I think I, I will say from my side, it's definitely one of my favorite shows on Netflix. I can't wait for you to, to release the next, uh, the next series. Um, but tell me about it from your point of view. What, what is this show about? Sure. So at its simplest, it's a science show where I get to go all over the world meeting scientists looking over their shoulder as they're doing you know some of the most interesting things in the most interesting places and then find the ways that those exciting discoveries you can kind of almost like leapfrog back all the way to you know kind of to the viewer at home and to see how these things that seem like they're at the you know in the in far corners of the world are actually things that yeah, that affect you on a day-to-day basis, on a minute-to-minute basis, on a breath-to-breath basis, you know? The ways in which we are all connected to one another and to our world. That's kind of what the show is about. And, and mm-hmm. to me, it is sometimes terrifying, sometimes mm-hmm. thrilling, uh, sometimes beautiful, and almost always surprising. It, it really is. And I actually, what the one thing I love most about the show, I, know, I don't know if you've been told that before, is that most, and I say that with respect, most American science shows, the, the host or the presenter is a Mr. Know-it-all. Okay? It's like, let me tell you what I know. Hmm? I've, you know, put enough years of my life behind this, and here is a chart that looks very impressive, and I know this stuff. <laughs> you, you, on, you, on the other hand, are completely surprised <laughs> it's like oh my god like people talk to you and you're like 
I can't believe this. <laughs> this doesn't make sense, right? Why are you presenting it when it doesn't make sense? And to me, this is such a humble and, and almost the opposite way. I, you know, it's true, truly to me, this is the scientific method. The scientific method is a humbleness that says, I don't know, I'm asking, I'm exploring. And now, yeah. when I was researching for this conversation, I read an article that you recorded with someone, I don't remember where, that's, that was titled, The Rewards of Being Dumb. Yeah. I absolutely love you for saying that. I mean, this is such a profound statement. The idea of, hey, I'm willing to be dumb, backed up by my fancy you know, PhD from Harvard, so I'm not really dumb, right? But I'm willing to be dumb in favor of finding the truth. Yeah. Tell me a bit more about that. I mean, that takes a lot of courage. Well, there's a, there's a few things behind that because it's, I mean, like, I, I feel like some people have said, oh, you're, you know, you're like pretending to be dumb. Or I'm really not. The, the, so, so there's a few things there. The one thing is that I really do think of my role as the kind of, like, I'm the ambassador for the viewer. You know, I'm the proxy for that part of your brain that wants to ask the dumb question, but you're not in that place. And even if you were, like, maybe you'd feel intimidated or something. I mean, I'm sure a lot of people do by some scientist in a, in a white coat, you know, and you, d you don't want to ask the dumb question. You don't, you don't want to look dumb. And to me, it's like my job is actually to, yeah, to represent you and you, like, collectively, you know. And, and in a way, really, uh, uh, that's, so that's that's one part of it. But the other part of it is actually I'm, I'm representing myself. Like those are the questions I actually genuinely have. Those are the things I actually genuinely want to know. And so to me, it's like not trying to dress it up, not trying to, you know, so, so often when I was beginning this field, uh, science journalism, you know, you, you're talking to scientists all the time. And so often I realized like I was trying to put on these airs to, to impress either the viewer or the scientist to, to, to look like I knew what I was talking about. And I didn't. And I was like, why am I putting all this effort into this, into this, you know, this front when really like, I'm just going to ask the question that I, that I actually have. And then I think that my, you know, like my mom probably has and my neighbor probably has. And like what they would, what, when I go back and tell them that, Hey, I talked to this interesting person. That's the first question they're going to ask. So I might as well ask mm. it, you know, that's part of it. I think another part of it is, is the thing is the thing we were sort of, we touched on earlier, but it's like the intellectual humility thing. Like, I think there's, a, you know, we, we live in this society where like, like right now politics, the election, right? You, mm. you, the way that these surveys work is you go to people and you ask them like, what do you think on this issue? Right. And, and chances are this person has never even thought about this issue, right? <laughs> exactly. Like they, they're asking you questions about candidates you don't even know or positions yeah. on, on things you haven't researched. And yet like people feel this need to, to have a definitive opinion. Like, and it's like, no, 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 that's, it's okay. You can say, I don't know. You know, that's all right. Mm. In fact, it, I think our society would work a lot better if we all just said, I, I don't know. Like, let me think about it. Like, let me, let me talk to some experts and let me listen and I can critically engage with them, but it's okay to not know. And, and I think that that there's a, that intellectual humility, I think it's a, to me, there's something like epistemologically, intellectually more honest about it. There's also something sort of ethically and morally more honest about it, oh, where I it's like, that. look, look, like, like, I don't know. I don't know the answer. Why would I know? I'm, I'm just some dude, right? Like, mm. like why, why don't we, go to the people that actually know and ask them and engage with them. That's, that's, it, that's just a, a better, like a, a I think it's a, a, a society I don't live in that, that's more like that. Yeah. And I, I, you, you'll be, so again, I mean, this message keeps coming in, in my recent recordings. Recently, I recorded uh, with a friend, uh, Kristen Neff, and she was talking about self-compassion. And, and the idea that self-esteem is what put us in those corners where I can't be seen as if I don't know. It's like, that's not good for me. That means I'm not a good person. And, and if I don't, if I'm, you know, if I can't appear to be better and always qualified and always ready, then I'm unable to prove to myself, let alone the rest of the world, that I'm worthy of anything. And that's right. a very, very dangerous place to be. Right. And it's a lot, it's a big burden to put on somebody. That's like so much baggage to like, you know, like all that, like it's such a weight to put on a person to, to make you feel like you need to deserve your, your worth and merit and, and like, you know, the oxygen you're taking up or something like, oh, it's like, yeah. no, 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 it's okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's, it's really, I mean, it's so, so and I wrote in, in Soul for Happy, I wrote a chapter that I called the illusion of knowledge. This is hence my first question. And, you know, in that chapter, I, I basically wanted uh, to tell the world that we actually know very little. I mean, and 
you, right. you think you think back to things like dark matter and dark energy, which until the 60s we assumed we assumed that 97% of the universe is vacuum. It's nothing, right? And you know we were so arrogant about it. Come on, come on, let's can move. Can we move on? It's yeah. nothing. Can we focus on the three percent, right? And right. somehow that burden of you know it's almost it's almost smart to say I don't know, right? It's the smartest thing ever. It's the way to yep. know, isn't it? Yeah. 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 No, I, I, that dark matter and dark energy is such a good example of that. Another good example that I think of all the time is sleep. Like it's like we spend so much of our day, mm. our lives doing mm. this. And mm-hmm. yet we're still, I mean, people have some good guesses, but like we don't, we don't really know why we sleep. Like that's a pretty fundamental thing. And for there to be such clear like potholes in our knowledge, you know, like that's like, we just kind of got to own that. I think that's, that's, <laughs> exactly. you, you, you can't pretend you can't like, you know, you can't BS your way around that. Like that's not, 97%. That's not nothing, you know? That's exactly, exactly. But, but you said, I don't remember where I said, so, heard you say that we, we live in very cynical times as well so it's not just that we don't know it's that we're almost attacking everything else that doesn't yeah. conform exactly to what we think we know right where is yeah. that coming from yeah it's it's such a i think it's there's so there's so many parts of it i think part of it i've heard a lot of different kind of theories about why why this is so I think one of them, and not that I'm a particularly, like, I'm not really a faithful person, but, but, the, but the idea that, like, in a way, the, the assumption that, like, and this is partly because our conversation, you know, our societies are sort of diversifying, we're having more people. Also, I think it's like, at least in the United States, it's becoming a less and less religious place. Like, there's less of an assumption of the kind of the moral order and the moral, like, the, there's less kind of of the big picture that we agree on in a way. And I think in that, then all of a sudden, the smaller things t- are a proxy for the, for the bigger things. And all of a sudden, if you're attacking something about my political worldview, it's now just as bad as if, if in, in olden times you were attacking my religious worldview or you were attacking, mm-hmm. you know, like, like there's a, I think there's a thing about it where it's like we're, we're sort of entrenched in a way. Yeah, somehow this all means so much more to us and asking questions about yeah, asking asking honest questions like like to me an honest question is a like to me that's there's nothing wrong with an honest question like I, I think that if if someone's coming at it from a, from a good place like and 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 I think that hopefully my series is a is a sort of testament to that like some of these are the people that I interviewed are some of the smartest people in the world who've who've worked on some of the most interesting challenges they've spent their years decades of their lives and and I ask them really dumb questions but I think they see that it comes from an honest place. And so they, they, they sort of engage with it. And I think that that's like, a, like, I find that really admirable. And I think that, yeah, I, I, I do wish there were sort of more people that would, yeah, that it would, would approach the world like that. And, and maybe sometimes it's just that, you know, there's so many different factors. Social media is one. You, it's hard to gauge yeah, whether someone's so. asking something ironically or whether someone's asking something, you know, with, with, a, with a more cynical tone or something. I mean, I, there's a lot of factors, I think, but, uh, but, but I think you're right. Like, I, I think these are really, they are cynical times where kind of just venturing to learn something, it can be politicized, it can be, you know, the, the, like, I, I think, yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's, they're complicated times, but they're also cynical times. Very, very complicated times. And I think the messages that we get bombarded with, you know, from social media, but also from all those with agendas, you know, those who are, you know, lying a little bit, not telling you the whole truth or spinning things or advertising yeah. things to you or selling things to you. And, you know, one of my favorite books has always been Preconomics and the idea yeah. that when you really, really understand the intention behind why someone is telling you something, not just the word that, that they're telling you, it might actually give you a better picture, a better light on what do they actually want out of it? And is it possibly not true, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I find, I, I think that I think about that a lot. Like, I, and, and I like Freakonomics. They were for a long time, sort of the podcast was sort of, I work at Radio Lab and they're like two, yeah. two halls down in a way or two rows down. And so we would talk with them a bit. And yeah, that, that idea of like the, the economist way of thinking, I mean, there, there are obviously many criticisms about, about a sort of econo- economist way of thinking. But, but to me, wh- this idea of like incentives, like what mm. are, what are, inc- that's such a powerful way to unlock sort of our society and to look at our society and to be like, oh, this is, 
you know, this thing is exactly going counter to what its intention was because if you yeah. like match up all these, line up all these incentives, like, oh, of course this is going in the, in the exactly wrong direction. Yeah, I, I, find that, I find that very powerful and it's, it's very satisfying to like hear, hear people, that show in particular, kind of break that down. Yeah, so, so, you know, it's, I feel that you and I are very similar in that, in that constant desire to try and make sense of the chaos of the world, right? It's it like, yeah. it's to me, I don't know. I mean, the, the, the older I've become, the more I realize I know nothing at all. Like, I really have no clue what's going on. I, I'm, I'm trying, you know, and I'm trying to make theories and, you know, try to organize happiness in an equation. And, you know, come, I talk to thousands of people every week and I have, I have no clue. I'm like, I'm totally, <laughs> I have no idea why they're listening to me to, to, to be quite <laughs> honest. And, and, and that chaos, I think, you know, one of the interesting ways is because we were taught wrong. Again, one of the things I read about, about you somewhere mm. is that one of the reasons you started to, to study art history is, be, uh, sorry, science history. I don't know why I call it I say art. Anyway. No, no, science. Uh, yeah. So, so science history is because you saw that the way we are teaching science, let me read what I, what I wrote here. Here is a bunch of answers to questions I didn't ask in the first place, right? Yeah. So, so that, that, you know, when, when you go into a science class, they go like, okay, look, today we're going to talk about viscosity, which we know you never cared about and never even <laughs> thought existed, exactly. but we're going to exactly. teach it to you anyway, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and the trick is, I actually, again, one of the things I really love about the show is that you sort of formulate the question more like the question I would want to ask. It's like, why, why the hell does dust exist? You know, there must be a reason for dust to exist. It's not... You know, it's not just wind blowing it. There must be something in that. And I want to follow that track and find out where it's going, right? So it's that yeah. skill of formulating the question that I think is really the more interesting side of knowledge than actually yeah. thinking that you know the answer. Yeah, no, and I, I really think like, like we, we sort of fetishize the answer, right? Like it's like in, in, in schools, like it's like who raises their hand the fastest with the answer. It's like yeah. the filling out the bubbles on the multiple choice. Like, like it's like which answer is right. Like that's how we judge people as opposed to how smart a question can you ask or how can you formulate the exactly right question that is really like that's, that's going to get you to that answer. Because to me that the question is a much more, at least uh, maybe obviously given the job that I'm in and the job that you are doing right now too, it's the question, actually. The question is so much more important. And yeah. the question is something, you know, the, the real questions that, you, that, that I think students will be asking their whole lives, that all of us ask our whole lives, are ones that are not going to be easily answered, right? That they're the ones that, like, it's going to take a lifetime to come to some fragment of an answer, and so to me, it's, 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 I really think that questions, like if you get the question right, the answer will follow. The, the question is a, is, a, is a black hole that you're opening up in somebody. And once that's there, they'll find the answer. Like they'll, they'll find the answer. You got you to make sure that they're finding the right answer and they know how to find the answer. But once you nail the question, the answer will follow. Did you, a bit of a personal question here, do you do that in, in words as well, Nasser? So, so I can see your curiosity outwards in the world and understanding and understanding how things work on the outside. Do you, do you reflect internally and, and go like, so, you know, this is what I think I know about myself, Latif, but this is not really what I am? Oh, I try, but I'm terrible at it. I mean, I'm <laughs> so bad at sort of introspection and self-analysis. And uh, I, I, think, I, I think it's, I mean, it's, it's like a, it's a, it's a goal. It's a lofty goal that I think I, I, I really try to kind of critically like assess my choices, my life, my, my career, my, you know, like, like who I am as a person. But that is, uh, I think it's it somehow, it's a lot harder. It's a lot harder to ask questions, mm. really good questions and sort of searing, penetrating questions about yourself than it is to look at the rest of the world. I find it way harder. I, I use the same method, actually. I use the same exact scientific method of, is it true? So, so, really? you know, yeah. yeah, which is really, I, I mean, I, it's not, it's something new in the last maybe seven, eight years for me, but yeah. you know, my, my brain tells me stuff. It's like, you know, you're a man. Okay. Good, good starting point. A scientific and, you know, analysis would say, prove it. Right. What yeah. do you mean? What is a man? Let's define what a man is. Define 
if I actually conform to this? Are there men out there that don't conform to this? Are there uh, right. you know, um, uh, non-men out there that conform to this? And I actually go through those weird analyses on, <laughs> on very, very silly topics, right? Yeah, but, good. But you'll be amazed at how far you, you actually don't know about your own self. Yeah. It's like it's like it's much worse than than black holes and uh, <laughs> really not in a we're not in a good shape man it's right <laughs> I mean okay let's let's uh, hold hold back prove prove to everyone that you and I know what we're talking about so they continue <laughs> the podcast <laughs> Okay l- let's jump into the show because I will I've written here a few of my favorite moments Oh okay? sure one of course my absolute favorite show was Benford's law right okay. I I love yeah. mathematics and like you it's just quite shocking that yeah. there is that kind of mathematical underlying pattern to everything that doesn't make sense at all. So okay. I'll, I'll explain it quickly so that you give me, uh, so that our, our listeners understand. Benford's law is basically something that predicts uh, that if you take all of the numbers that exist in anything, you know, all of the phone numbers that your friends have around the world or all of the number of, of friends they have on Facebook or whatever, that the first number on the left, if you take that and count how many occurrences of that number exist, it will actually follow a pattern. There will be 30% of them will start with the number one, uh, 17, I think, will start with number two and so on, which for a mathematician is weird. Why? Because we are, like seriously, we're taught on the other hand of physics that the world follows chaos theory and that nothing is actually in order at all. Now, explain. Sure. So there's a few, some different ideas as to, well, let me first say, so why, I mean, it's a, it's a very kind of abstract thing. Like why would we, so it's, it's like, I'm like, even when we started the episode, it's like, I'm telling you Oh, an abstract truth about the number of numbers in the world. Like that's the number most, like, numbers, yeah, w- yeah. what does that even mean? You know? Mm-hmm. And like the, the kind of incredible thing that I discovered in researching it that you see in the episode is that actually this is not just a sort of abstract thought experiment kind of thing. This is something that actually um, people, experts across the whole range of fields, a dizzying range of fields, everything from tax accountants to volcanologists to, you know, fake news detectors to all kinds of different things. They're actually actively using this sort of bizarro distribution of first digits of numbers to basically catch crooks, to notice kind of deep underlying patterns about our planet and, uh, and you know, to like safeguard truth in the middle of an election or, you know, election mm-hmm. returns, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's, it's not just an abstract thing, which is, which is kind of incredible. And so then the question is like, why? Why does this happen? Why is it that out of all the numbers in the world, essentially, that almost 30% of them will start with a one? Like, why? Why would that be? And why is it that only, uh, you know, it goes down and down and down until the number uh, nine and something like only about 5% of the world's numbers start with a a nine. And you're like, why would that be? Why wouldn't it just be a ninth of the time, all of them? And so I've, I've gotten some explanations that are, that are sort of, I don't know, uh, convincing is not really, like that, <laughs> that go some way towards explaining it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So one of them, probably the most helpful, so th- there's, some, there's some that are sort of mathematical that, that to be honest with you, I, I only partly understand. And they're sort of about, it's, it's not about the world or the universe, it's about numbers. It's something baked into our numbers that we can't really perceive, but it's, it's, it's sort of, it's baked into our, our way of counting. That said, this is true, not just in the base 10 numbering system, but in basically every numerical base that you could use. Mm. But somehow that curve exists and, and there's something about, it's, it's sort of a, a secret hidden in, in our numbering system. So that's yeah. uh, our, our, our that's one way of reading it. The other way of reading it is that it's actually, no, 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 no. It's about something. It's kind of a truth that's baked into our world. And the way that I've kind of understood that or heard that, it's, it's like, think about it this way. So, okay, so let's take volcanoes as an example, because this is the way I heard it. Imagine all the volcanoes in the world starting from scratch, right? So some of them will grow and they'll start to grow and they'll be pretty little and then maybe they'll stop or, you know, they, there won't be enough pressure to make them. But then others will grow bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And then ultimately you'll have the biggest ones that, that explode and whatever. So 
the the idea here is that like things have to start small to get big and a lot of things don't make it to being big so you lose a lot of small things along the way more things mm. will start small and less of those things will grow up you know it's like you have to be a baby before you can be an elderly person yeah but then, um, but then but then but then the number 1 million is not smaller than the number 900,000 True, but uh, right, right, but 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 it depends on kind of, but but it is smaller than nine hundred million or whatever, right? Mm. So it's like if you're no matter what scale you're looking at, that's sort of true. So it's like if if you're if you are kind of generalizing out, right? So that's one way of saying it. Another way of saying that same sort of idea is that let's say you are a, a zero, and to get all the way to one, okay, so that's like a lot of work. You had to do a lot of work to get to one. Mm. Now to get to two, that's you have to do. A hundred percent of that work again, right? Mm. So you have to double yourself, which is a really hard thing to do. Now, let's say you are an eight. To get to being a nine, piece of cake. You've done that eight times already. You're not doubling yourself. You're doing a lot less work to get there. So, so the idea is that it's like uh, it's like rolling down a hill or something, right? Like it's so it's 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 harder to get or rolling up a hill. I don't know, whatever the rolling hill analogy is. <laughs> yeah. It's it's harder to get started, so it takes a lot more work to get to through the earlier numbers, and then by the time you're at the end, it's you're just you're on a slip and slide, kind of getting out the door. Mm. Um, that's the idea. That's how, that's how sort of it's been explained to me, and and it's it's hard when you're thinking on this scale because it's like what does this even what does this even mean? But that's kind of like those are the two sort of explanations that I've seen. Yeah, um, it's, be, be, beyond the explanation, I think the fascination of this is of course it immediately triggered my fine my mathematical curiosity because i surprisingly i'm i consider myself to be a reasonable mathematician and i've actually never heard of benford's law before, before. oh really yeah yeah, yeah so, that's and, fair that's fair I've, I've heard that from a, a number of people yeah and and so i mean i i know of fibonacci curves for example or yeah, levels right sure. we all we all know that but we don't know I didn't know a Benford's, and 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 I think the the curiosity of that episode, I, the highlight, the moment that really touched my heart was that vo- the Spanish lady. I think about the volcanoes, yep. right? When yep. you asked her, yep. when you asked her, so volcanoes follow that too. It's like so many examples in our world follow that order. How does that make you feel? And she said, "Small." And small is such a touching word. You know, there is so much order to the universe. One of the the staggering statistics is that you said you measure the distance between us and the nearest galaxy and then the following galaxy and the distance between, and and it follows Benford's law. And that is if you you measure it in light years or miles or centimeters or the heights of me or the heights of Joe or whatever you want, right? It will still follow Benford's law. And that idea of, the the mighty universe being so freaking organized and we <laughs> yeah. you know yeah. we are so arrogantly thinking that we figured it out and you know and the truth is this kind of system operating together is just it just drives awe it's like i'm nothing i'm a tiny grain yeah. of sand in a mega desert on a tiny planet right yeah and there's a there's a thing that she says right after that small i love that small when she said that and there's a thing she says right after that where she says, I think we only understand a billionth of what's going on here. Like, uh, and, and I think that's I like, it's, it's exactly, it's exactly right, you know? And uh, we're just here trying to sort of read the faintest of clues. And you're right. And then you're like, this is, what a clue this is. But we, we don't know why. We don't know how. We don't know, uh, you know, where it'll work, where it won't work, for what reason. Like, oh, there's so much we don't know. But like, what a clue this is, you know? Yeah. Yeah, which which takes me to one of my other favorite moments, the Viri birds. That was so shocking. Like you, you, you know, again, very quickly, these are birds that immigrate. I think from De- Delaware to Brazil or something like that. Yeah. But yep. they choose the time at which they emigrate based on the hurricane expectation of the severity of the hurricane season, right? Yeah. And and yep. you know, then you know, at the at the closure of that section of the episode, you go like, how can something with the brain the size of a walnut, know about this month before, while we, with all of our computers and all of our information, are unable to pinpoint it days before, right? Which again is, a, is a, in my view, is, a, is a, an invitation for humbleness. It's like the tiny bird knows so much more about something than we do, 
it avoids flying during hurricanes while we get destroyed by it, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, I, like I still, I, 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 and he's actually, I think he's, he's monitoring. He has a kind of another experiment going this hurricane season. So we'll see what, what happens. But yeah, yeah like I, I honestly don't know the answer. He doesn't know the answer. Like I asked the, the scientist who's been studying this, who's been going to this same, who's been looking at these birds for, mm. for years, if not decades, and he doesn't know the answer. And, and that's just like, it's just incredible. And, and, and not only that, like the other detail, it's a small detail, but in that same segment about the Viries that just shocking to me is that bird, those, those tiny, like I had one in my hand, it's this big. And that bird can be on a tree in Delaware, can fly all the way south to the southern Brazil, and he has G- GPS trackers on it, so he can tell you. So it goes to a certain tree in Brazil. Then it'll come all the way back, right, later in the year, and it'll come to the same tree. Like, yeah. is to find the same tree in Delaware, the same bird in the like, same it's like, tree. it's like literally unlocking your door for number 14 and walking back into your apartment. It's like, you know, yeah. why would it go to any other branch in any other tree? It's like, it of course, of <laughs> course, of course. And yet, you know, and yet, like, and yet, like I couldn't, if you took me to, if you took me right now to Delaware to that same forest, I could not show you any of the, I, I would not be able to tell you the difference between any of the trees. I would not be able, and yet, like to be able to do this year after year, yeah, it's, it is. It is so. It is so funny. It's so mm. funny. So, 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 I'll share my one of my. I, I have like two hundred favorite moments. It's like I can, <laughs> but but I'll share one more and then ask you for your favorite moments. And sure. For me, Judith, the French author mm-hmm. that wrote about yep. dating, that was yep. talking. Right. So, yeah. so to, to, you know, again, very quickly, her, her story is that she starts to realize that she's being monitored on dating apps. And so she asks Tinder, I think, for, you know, what information they have on her. They send her back an 800 page document of everything. And this, again, is one of my, my favorite episodes. Everyone has to see it. That's about surveillance. And, the, you know, and from a very unusual point of view, you know, how, how can we as humans be so dumb sometimes? Again, I, 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 you know, yeah. I, I, all, in all honesty, I mean, I've been on a dating app, surprisingly, which quickly turned into a research project for me. I'm not going to say <laughs> yeah, that. Right, I'm sure. It was amazing. It was an amazing experience because from starting to be on a dating app to starting to monitor, to, to actually observe major trends in general is quite interesting. Yeah. We talk about that yeah. offline. Well, um, and, and just quickly, sidebar, sidebar on that, like, that's the way, at least I, I, I can't remember, I think it was the United States. Like, that's the way most people are meeting their partners now. Like, that's, yeah. that's driving our, you know, our, who the love, next generation is. Yeah, like, love, that's love driving life everything. And mating, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, but, so. but, then, but then, you know, the moment that was shocking for me is how she was so, I, I probably want to interview her, by the way. I think it would be wonderful. Oh, she's great. Could, I'm happy to yeah, introduce this, please. I, I sent her an email yesterday, actually. Uh, she, so, she, she says, I, I felt so vulnerable because they knew so much about me. And yet, I'm still unable to completely get off the apps. Every now and then, I go back and check. What's happening in us? You know, How can we be like that? Yeah, that is a, a mystery. But it's, it's actually... so. The closest I've come to kind of an, an answer on that is this thing that we mentioned in the uh, episode called the privacy paradox. Like it's like, what is the, and that's really just restating the answer to the question. Why is it that we all say we value privacy and yet, you know, the way we behave online, like seems to totally contradict that most, most of us, most often there was a, a funny study they did where they told people and this is sort of a, uh, maybe an American specific reference, but they set up you know, a table in a mall and they're like, okay, if you tell me your social security number, I'll give you a cookie. <laughs> and people like so many people just did it because they wanted a cookie. But, but so what is the cookie, right? Like what is the thing online that makes us want to do this? And, and to me, the best uh, version of this I've read came from a former professor of mine, uh, her name is Jill Lepore, wonderful, terrific, brilliant woman. And she wrote, we have these kind of two competing drives within us. We have a drive for privacy. You know, you don't want, like even, I, I mean, I have a, a toddler who like 
doesn't want anyone to see when he's pooping. Like that is a very, that, like that drive for privacy, that's real. That's, I think that is in us. And yet we also have a drive, a competing drive for publicity. We want to be public. We want people to see us, to admire us, to look at us, to enjoy us, to support us, to applaud us. And so those are, there are these two competing drives. Like there is a drive to say, okay, I'm just me. I'm just you know, do, nothing to see here. Don't, don't pay attention mm-hmm. to me. And then there's also, Hey, look at me. Like, uh, this is so great. Like how much fun I'm having on my vacation or whatever. Right. And those drives in a way, there's like a constant battle in us between those two drives. Right. It's like every time you take a picture and you're like, should I put that on social media or not? Like that's, 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 that's what's playing out. And in a way it's like, every time it's like, publicity so many more times, I feel like, at least in my life or in most people's lives, like publicity just edges out privacy, you know? Oh, yeah. Um, where it's like, where it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, I guess this could, you know, be like a, an overshare, but, you know, I'm going to do it anyway. And, and I think there's something about that. It's, just, it's, it's because the way these systems are set up, the, the kind of incentives of it, of getting a like, of getting a retweet, of getting a this thing or that thing, right, a share, like somehow that hits our, our, you know, our pleasure centers in a way that I think, yeah, that, that there's not a, there's not a comparable thing to privacy, right? Like it, it doesn't feel good to not share something or maybe it does. I don't know. But, but anyway, it's, to me, that's the best account that I've heard of it. It's this, it's these competing drives, publicity versus privacy. And in a for some reason, publicity just, just edges out privacy, you know, nine times yeah. out of 10. I mean, now, now, now that you talk about it from a hormonal point of view, I think dopamine is the, is the highest, you know, addiction we have. It's like, you know, I'll, I'll share and I'll get a few likes and it's, you know, I can't live without those likes. It's, it sort of trumps the, the, the need for, I'm a little worried that this would be oversharing every time. And it's, uh, yeah. 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 And, 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 and yet, like, it's like, we want to be on social media. We want it for, in Judith's case, she wants to be on the app. She wants Mm -hmm. to see people. She wants people to see her. And, uh, and it's that sort of wanting to be in the public sphere versus wanting to be in the private sphere. And the the internet has kind of expanded the public sphere in a way that is like, Mm Mm, mm, so was was the show your idea or were you, you know, hunted to, to host it? Did you? A little bit of both. Mm. A little bit of both. So this, uh, so I, I'm just a radio reporter and then this terrific production company approached me. They're called 0.0 and, and they basically, uh, the kind of thing that they're famous for is that they did all of uh, Anthony Bourdain's shows. Oh. Mm. And so they had this idea kind of to say, look, like what if we did to the sort of hosted science show what we did with Anthony Bourdain to the food show. So food shows used to be like in a kitchen and you were just on a kitchen set and Mm. that's all it is. And then they were like, okay, let's explode that out send this guy to every country to try all kinds of things. And it's like, okay, what if we did that with the science show? So you're not in a laboratory or studio kind of a space. You sort of break it out. You actually go out into the world. You go see stuff. Like, let's try that idea. And they wanted me to, they approached me as a, as a possible host. And I was kind of coming up with, with my own ideas. And uh, one idea that, that I had was, okay, if we're going to go out to, you know, these corners of the world, like they, they, they would say to me, like, you know, more international, we, we needed to be further afield, far flung, we need this to be even a prettier place, like, let's go, hmm. where, where could we possibly go? Um, and, and for me, the, the idea was, okay, if we're going to go to these far sort of exotic uh, locales, or, or at least very diverse locales, what's the way to make it feel like it, even though it's about something far away, it's actually about me and my family and my day-to-day life. And my, it's about, it's about me, the viewer, you know, because mm. as, as, as I say, I really think of myself as a, I'm kind of the, the ambassador, you know, I'm your ambassador. I'm the proxy for, for the viewer. And uh, so, so that's, that's kind of the thing I did. It's like, okay, so if we go out far afield, like, can we hop our way back? you know, to, to that person, to, to the breaths they take, the, the poops, they poop, you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, uh, what's the way to make it feel like, even though it's so far away, it's actually very close. Mm, I love that. And, and then, and then what they, so you, they, they pitched you to Netflix and said, Oh, this is the guy that more will love. Yeah, we, we, we pitched it together to Netflix. So they, early on, they said, look, we want this to, and they, as they did, you know, 
and the world is lucky that they did for Bourdain. Yeah. Um, but but they did. They kind of offered me the same sort of deal to say, hey, look, we want you to be executive producer. We want this whole show to be in your voice. We want it to be your weirdo, your dumb jokes, and your stupid, <laughs> you know, corny shirts, and your like. Let's let's like we're all in. So you you have a hand in sculpting this thing from you know every choice uh, mm-hmm. uh, from 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 you know soup to nuts and. Uh, and so I did like, and, and I was, uh, they gave me an, an incredible, incredible team. And yet so at the same time, like I got to weigh in on every choice, every line, every shot, every, everything. And so that was a really, really incredible experience. I learned a lot. And yeah, so we, so we pitched it to Netflix together. Netflix liked the idea. We pitched them a whole bunch of episode ideas, uh, most of which they, they loved. There were a few of which they're like, ah, this doesn't work for this reason, or the, maybe this one would be better in a season two or something like that. So that's kind of where we are now. As for a season two, yeah, so we're just kind of, I mean, I hope there will be a season two, but it's, you know, it's up to the, uh, it's not in my control. What can I do? Can I shout really hard and ask everyone to vote on Netflix and say this is most That, that would be great. Okay. That would be great. Yeah, I, I, that would I be have, great. I have a... I have a reasonable number of followers that would do me a favor. So I mean, no, I don't, well, I don't I, think I, they I need to do that. me a favor. Honestly, okay. I think I think anyone who who watches this will love it. Um, what what was your favorite moment of it? Oh, there's so many favorite moments. I think one was the the most sort of indelible moment for me was walking in the middle of the Sahara Desert in Chad, yeah, yeah. and finding a forget even how old it was, what, like 8,000-year-old fish fossil. Yeah. And, and what's interesting is like I, I learned sort of the hard way in filming this, like so many of the tricks, you know, of like of TV documentary, like it's like if people find something, it really means like someone scouted the location before. They, they sort of planted yeah. the thing that you know where it's going to be and so you stumble upon it but you're, mm. you, and you have to fake mm. that you found it. Whereas this, we literally found it. Like you can't send, this is the middle of the desert. You can't send someone to scout there. And even if they did, like the wind is so strong that this thing erodes, it might not be there the next day or, or whenever. You just don't know. And so I was walking with this incredible Chadian scientist, Dr. Musa, and he, and we're walking and we came all the way out here to find a fish. And there's no guarantee. Like even when we did the Viri shoot, like uh, a friend of mine uh, who was uh, on that shoot, one of the camera people, he was like, I'm an, I, you know, I did a thing for Nat Geo once and we went all the way to, I forget, Antarctica or something to find some animal. And like, we were there for three weeks. We didn't find the animal. Um, and that's it. Like the documentary is over. But, 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 but it was a similar thing. We went to find this fish fossil and we were like, we better find this fish fossil. If we don't find it, we're, we have no idea what we're going to do. We have no plan B. And then we're walking and we actually find one. And you know, and, and he let me, because he's a sort of a generous, sweet guy, he let me help and excavate it, like with my, with my hands, with my bare hands, you know? Uh, and so just fun. pulling this thing out of the desert, it just, like, it, it felt like a, yeah, it felt like a spiritual moment, you know? <laughs> I agree. I totally, I, I, would, I would go to the desert for that, for sure. <laughs> it's incredible. Sure. It's incredible. I have two more, one, one very personal question for me. Sure. And, and uh, one is very personal for you. But before I do that, I'll make my yeah. regular announcement. One is, uh, you know, basically to remind everyone that if you're here, then you must love Latif's conversation as much as I do. And uh, you, can, you can easily imagine that others would too. So please do us a favor and rate this a five stars on Apple Podcasts because Apple doesn't like us otherwise. And uh, <laughs> do share it on social media and share, share it to your friends. My mission in life is to make a billion people you know, reflect and learn and be happy. So with your help, I can get there. So no big I, deal. Just one billion. That's it. Very it's, modest. It, it really is not a big deal. Just Honestly, one. Only one billion. That's I'm it. Not, I'm not. I'm not getting there alone. I. You know, everyone listening is going to get to a thousand. Right. That's it. And right. and we're done. And you know, love it. The thousand get to a thousand. It's just the exponential function. You you know that. We should <laughs> we should have an episode on the exponential function. Actually, I'll send you a video. You'll be blown away. It's really interesting. And, or, anyway. My favorite moment was surely the dust episode, okay? You may not know, but I lost my wonderful son who triggered the One Billion Happy uh, mission, right? So, so, you know, you, you you take us on this episode from Chad in the middle of the desert where you find that fish fossil. 
And then you follow that dust across the ocean and you know, how it eventually ends up landing uh, in the Amazon forest, right? And I literally cried when you were saying, and, the, and Dr. Musa was saying, that it's the death of that fish a thousand years ago that fertilizes or puts the phosphorus back into the Amazon soil, which is a very, you know, which wouldn't survive otherwise to give all of us life. And that cycle, of course, hit my heart because it was the death of my son that triggered me to do what I'm trying to do and give happiness, which I equate with life, to be honest, to, to so many people. How did you make that connection? Yeah, well, so, um, condolences for your son. And I, I, I think that episode for me really, I mean, it was an interesting episode and it was one of the first ones we pitched uh, to Netflix. That was the one we actually pitched the show on and that we sold the show on. And, and, uh, and I really do think, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing, right? It's like, oh, wow, dust goes all over the world and da, da, da. Like, but, but to me, it really clicked when, when, it, when I realized like, this is a story about life and death. This is mm. a story about every one of the, effects that this well the first of all that the dust comes from a dead fish and that the fact that every one of those sort of stops along the way are 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 stops of life and death you know whether mm -hmm. it's uh, triggering the mass death of fish or or the you know plankton blooms that are yeah. uh, you know uh, helping capture carbon or, or whatever it is like like that's that's really uh, and and then and then giving us the oxygen that we're using in our breaths like it, it really is a, a kind of a story of life and death and and I think that is that's magnificent and I think that there's a and it, no, nowhere near your the scale of your loss, of course, but uh, while I was, while we were part, like, you know, halfway through this episode, I think we were in the editing, I suddenly lost a, a friend of mine. And it was, this story was in a way, like it was the way I got through that, like, like mm -hmm. editing, writing, thinking about this dust. It is such a, to me, it's, it's, it's a profound thing. It's a thing to say, you can't even imagine what ways that these people that we kind of to our senses are gone they're they're not like that the, 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 the world is is so much richer and more vital than your mind to, to me i the my mind even allows for you know yeah. and that it's like this is this this person who had this life and this energy was not was sort of snuffed out in one way but they're not at all snuffed out in another and that their their legacy that they will have a legacy and even though it'll be so subtle and even imperceptible it's real mm -hmm. and and that's that's like that's to me a very powerful important lesson and it's a it's a kind of I don't know. It's a to me. It's a it's a solace. Like it's a it's it really is a profound. It's a it's a profound thing that 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 helped me deal with you know deal with a loss and and I'm sort of gratified and encouraged that it that it helped you too. And and Absolutely. you know I'm sorry that that any of these losses had to happen. But it's like but 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 it's but there's something yeah that. Something came out of it, you can be sure, you know? Unbelievable. You know what, Latif, what, what really, really got to my heart is that, is that feeling that every tiny little thing matters, yeah. right? It's not, not only when we're alive, even when we're, when we're dead a thousand years later and you were just a fish, like yeah. you, were, you were just a tiny fish yeah. and then you died a thousand years ago. Yeah. And now you're giving life to an entire planet. Yeah, just because of that event, and 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 you know, it just gets you to again where we started the conversation of how small we are, how complex that web of life really is, and how significant every tiny little twist, every tiny little turn yeah. is to everything. It's really, really heartwarming. Really, I mean, I I absolutely was in awe watching this. It was really beautiful. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I, if anything else, I think that's the that that's that's my favorite episode for that reason. I think that it's mm. it it's uh, it's yeah. To me, it reframes how you think of the planet as a system and how you think of death. I, what what death even means, you mm. know? And, mm. and 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 you're right. And not even not even a person's death, like 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 anything's death, and that it does uh, it does ripple in in yeah. ways that like that we just 
you know, we can't perceive like this story, you know, the only, the first time they saw the dust or, or were able to measure it in, in a, in a meaningful way was this satellite that they put up in 2000 something. Like, it's like, like it's we're just learning about this stuff. And so like how many more things are there like that out there? You know, this we have is just no idea. Yeah. We have no yeah. idea. Which really is, I think the beauty of this whole, why I really, really connected so deeply to you is that idea of connected. It's like you, you, you can't deny how connected we are. It's just unbelievable how much you have to close your eyes to be able to believe that you're an individual. And sadly, that individualism as a Western value, it's like it's me yeah. and then everything else can follow, yeah. is truly the biggest false of all, the biggest yeah. ignorance of all, I think. It is. It yeah. is. It is. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, yeah, it's like a, like a kind of ego trip, I think. It's like a, yeah. we can, like, we can build a wall or we can differentiate between people based on the color of their skin or we can, you know, we can shut off, uh, you know, an economy or something. Like, like, there's just ways that you think, like, this is, we're just kidding ourselves. Like, like yeah. we are connected. Yeah. We have to be. Both because it's, that's just the nature of, the, of life. Uh, but it's also because, like, we're facing very meaningful threats here and we can't. Totally. We, we can't, but if we want to survive, like that's the only way we can survive. Which, which actually brings me to my last question in a very nice way. So I, sh- I wanted to start the, the conversation by saying, congratulations, you have another oh, child. Thank you. So, so thank I, you was, very much. I, was, I was shocked. It was two days after the birth of your show, there was the <laughs> birth of your child. Uh, exactly. It was your second child, right? So you have a three-year-old and your newborn. That's right. And, and we are facing quite a bit of challenge as a, as a word. So if I was, I was to ask you with everything that, you're, that you've learned so far, yeah. what, what would you wish for them? What would you wish would change? Uh, I, there's so much, but I think that it's, I mean, it's, it, like I, in a way, I guess my hope is, and, and my, this is my hope for every, every parent out there, is that you, you're not wishing that the, like, the world will change for your kids rather that your kids will go out there and change and, and make that change in the world, you know? And I think that there is, there is so much that I think that, you know, there are, I mean, you just got to look around both for the, both for the problems, the very real problems. I'm in California right now, besides the pandemic, besides the economic catastrophe, besides the like racial reckoning, there's giant wildfires. And, you know, like, it's like, there are, there are massive problems around us that we, that you need to be, you need to have your fingers uh, plugging in your ears to, 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 to not notice. But, but I do think that, there's also really beautiful and empowering things all around us. I think there are people who are, you know, fighting for their dignity and for their civil rights. And there are people who are fighting for, on behalf of all of us, for our planet. There, there are incredible exemplars that are all around us that, like, I think we often take for granted, but are really, really, you know, that, that we should applaud and I don't know. There's there's a lot out there, and it's it's a it's a sort of a careful mix, I think, of of what to kind of uh, the bad stuff to show your kids and the, and the good stuff. Uh, but uh, but but I do think like I want I want my kids to to live in a world that is that is deeply connected for the better and the worse. But 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 one in which they are kind of I think we all kind of have to scale up our thinking. You know, like it's like we got to just work in concert with one another. And, and, and if you saw the cloud episode in concert there has a double meaning in a way, because it's like, that's how the, you know, the, the supercomputers are working. And that's how mm. these giant global networks of, of people working together, scientists and, and even citizens. Like to me, I think there's a, we need to, I, I want them to grow up in a connected world and in a world where, you know, we're all working together to solve the very clear problems. And that's hard enough. Like it's hard enough without people sort of working at cross purposes and, 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 and defaming people and denying them dignity and all of that kind of stuff. And, and hopefully we can solve those uh, to the degree that we can, we can solve those problems and get, and get to work on the real stuff, the, all the existential stuff that we're all facing together, the incontrovertible stuff, the, the stuff that, you know, that, that is hard enough. And hopefully that'll be the, the, that'll be the world that I, that I want them to, to grow up in a world where, yeah, where, where there's, there's a lot to do, but, but, but we're all working together to do it. 
I love that. I love, love, love what you're doing. It enriches my brain. It touches my heart. I encourage you strongly to do a hundred more episodes. I binge watch <laughs> all of them in a week. I promise. Uh, and I, and I, I truly love you like a human, Latif. I oh, think you're a wonderful, oh, so wonderful, wonderful, wonderful being. I'm very, very grateful for your time. Very grateful for your energy. I'm the uh, same. I feel like we just had this one conversation, but I feel like I've known you now a very long time. And yeah, and there is no way you can escape me. I will fuck you. So <laughs> come, come on, come on. I'm, I'm, I'm ready for it. But, but, but really, I'm so grateful for your work. And, and in a way, it's actually, I mean, it's not unlike the dust, right? Like, it's I mean, you had this horrible, you yeah. had this horrible, horrible thing happen to you, something unimaginable that you wouldn't wish on, you know, anybody. And yet you're sort of making something of it that's constructive that you probably I'm guessing would never have imagined or thought that they ever imagined. Yeah. You know, so, so that's, that's like, I think that's the way, yeah, that's the, the way that I, I hope and, and, and I, I, I sense that the, that the world works, that even out of the, the, you know, the most dispiriting, the most devastating thing, like something will come out of it. And, and, and hopefully like it's in our power to make that thing a positive force as opposed to a, you know, something that drags other people down. I believe that. I believe that, uh, that there are a few of us trying really hard. I, I've never even thought about what happened to my life as the dust, but I think that's a wonderful, <laughs> truly a wonderful description. It's the dust. It travels all over the world. It tries to go everywhere. That's so true. That's so true. Yeah. You're right. That's You're so right. Cool. You're the man. I adore you. Oh, Mo, I'm, I'm very, very uh, flattered that you asked me to come talk to you. And we've had uh, such a wonderful conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're, uh, you're a kind of a, an empath that's just sort of directly plugging in to, to the work I'm doing and to so many other things in the world. So uh, I thank you for that. And for all of you who joined us, thank you so much for listening. Be sure to follow me on social media. Search for Mo Gaudet slow-mo, solve for happy, or one billion happy. I know you've got a lot going on, but remember, there is always time to slow down. Until next time, stay happy.